0: Hi, writers. I'm glad you are here for our new episode on the craft of writing fiction, both novels and short stories. Remember back some episodes when we talked about a method to make our characters believable, and that was to give details about them. A key to good writing is to be, quote, specific, definite, and concrete as Strunk and White said. This applies to the the author's descriptions of setting and action, but the same method applies to making dialogue interesting. Give details during the dialogue. There's a rule that a, a character who speaks in concrete details is more believable to a reader than one who speaks in generalities and with vagueness. Stephen Fisher says that in dialogue, confrontation works best and, quote, details are the rocks characters throw at each other. That's Stephen Fisher. Let's talk about the use of details that will make our dialogue convincing and entertaining for readers. Here is an example of a conversation that has no details and isn't too interesting. He loves me. I can tell, Sarah said. Are you sure? He said some things last night. Here's the same content, given in a more vivid way, with concrete details. Listen to the difference. He reached over last night and put his arm around me, Sarah said. And then he whispered something in my ear. What did he say, Marie asked. Go ahead and tell me. I can't. It's too personal. Sarah, I'm not going to take another step on this sidewalk until you tell me. He told me I have beautiful eyes. Eyes like an elk, he said. Marie laughed. He meant eyes like a doe. I don't care what kind of animal. It shows he loves me. Isn't that better? It's a nice conversation uh, between two young ladies, and it's got details. Here's another example of dialogue that isn't interesting because the speaker provides no details. How is your flight? Ellie asked. Worst I've ever taken. Bill lugged his suitcase up the stairs. I'm never flying that airline again. Generalities. Worst I've ever taken. This conversation isn't interesting, but listen to this instead. How is your flight? Ellie asked. The plane sat on the runway for two hours, and when we took off, wind threw the plane around, up and down like a roller coaster. If I hadn't been wearing a seat belt, I would have cracked my head on the plane ceiling. When they managed to, when they managed to walk, the flight attendants passed out vomit bags. Too late for some passengers. Here, the details make the fellows' dialogue real and worth listening to. This version with the details doesn't have the general, uh, generalizations such as worst flies I've ever taken, uh, which doesn't create an image for the reader. The new version of his dialogue about the flight gives an image and is more believable and interesting. Here's another example of dialogue that is inert because it's too general with no details. So you visited your nephews? Galen asked. The twins, Rondy said they are horrible little creatures. Next time I visit my sister and her husband, I'm staying one night, not four. This dialogue could be interesting, wild little kids, but it isn't interesting because the speaker hasn't provided details. Instead, listen to how much better this is. So you visited your nephews? Galen asked. The first thing that happened was, even before I unpacked, little Oliver got into my suitcase and started playing tug of war using my Gucci scarf with their German Shepherd. The scarf is destroyed. And the other twin, Carson, unscrewed the salt shaker lid but left the lid on, so when I went to put salt on my steak, the lid fell off and half a cup of salt fell onto the steak. And my sister's husband thinks this is all funny. Here the writer is offering details and these details are of a couple of weird, unfunny things these kids did. It's much more entertaining than the first version, they are horrible little creatures. That's a nice phrase, horrible little creatures, but it isn't evidence, there's no details to convince. Here's another, notice this conversation is flat because of the lack of details. Mrs. Smith, my locksmith shop, has never been accused of such a thing, and Ben is my best employee. Katie said, As he replaced my front door lock this morning, he stole some things from my house. I'm going to call the police right now. This could be a tense scene, a confrontation between a locksmith business owner and a client. But the phrase, he stole some things from my house is so generic, it just kills the conversation. This is more interesting for the reader. As he replaced my front door lock this morning, he stole a hundred-year-old gold and emerald brooch that had belonged to my grandmother, and a two-carat ring my husband gave me on our 25th wedding anniversary. This specificity fills out the reader's image of the scene. Maybe the writer could have gone farther. She says, and he used the master bathroom toilet. I know because he left the seat up, which isn't allowed in this house. How's that for an image? But it is an image. It gives the reader something to think about. And it also reveals things about the woman. Here is the last one. I'm never going on another safari, Anderson said. Kruger Park isn't for me down there in South Africa. If I want to see wild animals from now on, I'll go to the zoo. Well, here's a better version, and listen to the difference. I'm never going on another safari, Anderson said. Kruger Park isn't for me down there in South Africa. If I want to see wild animals from now on, I'll go to the zoo, Jones asked. Too intense. The shrieking and growling and yowling, Anderson replied, at night these horrible animals, animal howls, sometimes right outside our tent. I I don't know what they were, cheetahs or hyenas or wild dogs or lions. I lay on my cot all night, my eyes wide open and my hands gripped together, hoping I'd survive until morning. Isn't that a lot better, with the names of the animals and the names of the sounds? Uh, the character in his dialogue is offering a strong image of what he went through at the African Animal Park. It's, it's, sort, of a, it's sort of a funny image, but it's also sympathetic. It's filled with details. Uh, a lawyer during a trial submits evidence before the court, trying to convince a jury. Writers can do the same thing. As we create our dialogue, we can give evidence to the reader, specific, definite, and concrete evidence during the dialogue, details that will convince the reader of the situation and will make the dialogue much more entertaining. This is a strong technique. In our dialogue, give details. Let's talk about character description. A writer usually should describe a character soon after the reader first meets her, on the same page, or or shortly thereafter. If the writer doesn't do the work of describing a character, the reader won't do it either, and the character will remain a, a vague smear in the reader's mind, and the character won't engage the reader. Let's talk about showing the face and physique instead of telling about the face and physique. Regarding the face, I read in a published novel, pretty good novel, uh, I read it yesterday, a horrible amateurish phrase. A look of confusion was on his face. This is, this should have been... His eyes opened widely, or his jaw dropped, or he half-stepped backwards, or something else. Given the context of the scene, the reader will know from this, that from this showing that the character is confused. I like the subject of showing versus telling, and our goal should be to have showing rather than telling be our default mode of describing something. You've heard me say this before, so I'll be brief. Showing reveals while Telling explains. And here I go again with these two sentences. He scratched his arm, is showing. His arm itched, is telling. Showing reveals, it offers evidence to the reader and allows the reader to make up her own mind. Telling, on the other hand explains and is a mini-lecture and is less convincing for the reader. It's less engaging. Some of the time, telling rather than showing about a character's face is the easiest and most economical way to paint an image. Her eyes were tawny green and she had a flip nose. That's a nice sentence. It's telling. Or, his nose was a map of burst capillaries. Or, His nose had been broken and badly reset and was attached at the wrong angle. Or, a vast web of wrinkles held her eyes in place. These phrases aren't bad. Still, they're telling, and if the writer could figure out how to show the same thing, the writer could add punch to the descriptions. Here are examples. Here's a telling version. Laura's eyes were green and she moved with confidence. Here is a show version. Laura walked into the room, her green eyes flashing and moving with a sashay, and the men turned to look at her. This version reveals a lot more about Laura and in a more interesting way. Here's a tell version. He was average-looking. The show version would be this. I can't remember what he looked like, detective. He resembled everyone else on the subway. Here is a a tell version. He had a long beard. How about showing it this way? His daughter giggled as she yanked his beard. We can also show rather than tell when describing a character's body. It's easy to create a laundry list when setting out a character's appearance. Hansen was six feet tall with blonde hair, a thick neck, and a deep chest. Sometimes such a list is fine for a character character who appears briefly in the story, but if the opportunity is there for the writer, we should consider showing with more memorable images. It isn't necessary to inform the reader everything about our character's appearance in one sentence. The description can be spaced out and it can allow for showing. Here's an example of telling. He was heavy. Here's a show version. His belly hung over his belt. Isn't that better? Here's a sh- here is a, uh, another show version. When he pulled the slot machine handle, tissue swung under her arms. Or how about this for showing uh, he's heavy? When he lowered himself into the chair, the armrests groaned. Or this, his thighs swished together when he walked. Here is a uh, tell version. He was strong. Well, we could show it this way. He grabbed the bumper and lifted the front of the car off the ground. Isn't that a great image? And it shows he's strong. Or how about this way? His biceps pushed out his shirt sleeve. Or this, a hand gripping each end of the crowbar, he bent it in half. Here's a tell version uh, regarding the physique. He was skinny. That's not a very interesting sentence. How about showing it this way? His clothes hung on him as if from a hanger. That's a nice phrase and it gives a strong image by showing. Or show this way. He turned sideways sideways. And almost disappeared. Or this. uh, Showing. Clarissa's fingers almost circled his wrist. Or maybe this. He cinched his belt up to the last notch. All of these things show uh, he's skinny. And they're better images. How about this for telling about his posture. He was stooped. That's not bad if you want to get it across quickly, this telling version, he was stooped, but how about this, showing? He walked along the street, his head bent forward and his gaze on the asphalt. Or this, in dialogue. Try to stand up straight, Don. Here's a tell version. She was athletic. How would you show that? Her waist was narrow and her biceps were muscled and she smiled to herself as she ran on the treadmill. That's a show version. It has action and it's a fun image. Or or we could show with this. She used only her arms to lever herself out of the pool. Someone who doesn't have to kick herself out of the pool and can get out just using her arms is indeed strong. Here's a show version her arms pumping, she circled the playground, almost lapping her classmates. That shows she's athletic. It's a nice image. It's a lot better than the tell version, she was athletic. Because we often want to get across an image of our character quickly and, and right after the reader meets her, telling about her is often fine. But there are chances to show things about our character, which often... Uh, shows her in action and gives the reader a strong image. We should look for the chance to show rather than tell the reader about our character's face and physique. Let me mention the rule of exceptions. In the very first podcast, I mentioned the rule of exceptions in fiction. I once in a while read a novel that fits the rule of exceptions. The dictionary definition of an ex- of an exception it's an instance not conforming to the general rule. A couple days ago, I started Edna Ferber's novel Giant. It was published in nineteen fifty two and features many characters who who have been made wealthy by land or cattle or oil in Texas, and it's splashy wealth for many of them though they retain some elements of their impoverished, earlier lives. In 1956, the novel was made into a movie starring Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, and James Dean. As I read the novel, I kept meeting charming, odd characters, and I kept reading good dialogue, but I kept waiting for something important to happen. Edna Ferber's powerful observations kept me reading, what a pleasure, until they didn't keep me reading. And right now I'm reading Mahesh Rao's novel, Polite Society. It's set in modern times in India, involving a group of of wealthy, odd uh, Indians, The author here also makes powerful observations, a real pleasure to read. Not much has happened in the first 50 pages. I'm going to keep reading. In terms of novel writing techniques, as I understand them, these novels are exceptions. Usually a novelist wants to get big plot points underway right away, get the story going, going with important action, something critical that sets the plot in motion. But both of these novels feature strong, uh, indeed wonderful, observations about people and places and quirky characters. I suppose the lesson is that strong observations and odd characters can carry a story for a while, and these do. And I don't second-guess for a heartbeat Edna Ferber, a, a Pulitzer Prize winner. Exceptions exist to the rules, and these novels are exceptions. Both plots involve creating interesting people and sending them to a big party to see what happens. Toss these strong-willed, sharp, needy, and dominant characters all together and watch the sparks fly. Both of these writers have the talent to do this. Usually, we should go with the percentages. We should use the techniques shown to work most of the time, and probably not trust our ability to get by with strong observations and quirky characters or, or whatever else we hope can carry a story without actually being a story, we should go with what works almost all of the time. Go with the percentages. And that is, what works is, get the story going right away. The legendary Simon & Schuster editor Michael Cordes said the th- three most important words in writing a novel are story, story, story. But then, once in a while, I come across evidence of the rule of exceptions, and these two novels were. We have come to the end of this episode. Uh, my email address is Jim Thayer, Seattle at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Jim Thayer. Please keep tapping those keys.